Hello! Welcome to this episode of Cadenza, Wellington School's music podcast. My name is Charlie Pemberton, and I was a student at Wellington from 2008 to 2016. I started in what was then the prep form, went all the way through, and stayed for sixth form. Throughout my time at Welly, I was also a member of the chapel choir under the exquisite direction of Andrew Trella. He and the choir changed my life. Chapel choir taught me discipline and commitment, but most importantly, it instilled in me a lifelong love of choral music. Singing in a choir has the power to calm you down, channel your sadness or stress and cheer you up all at once. Something I'm sure many of us have really missed and or needed in the last year. The music you heard at the beginning is the opening of Lottie's Crucifixus. It was one of the first pieces I sang with the chapel choir and it's full of these heart-wrenching suspensions that sent shivers down 11-year-old me's spine. In this episode, I won't just be waxing lyrical about the many benefits to singing in a choir. I also want to take you on a journey. This journey begins where my Wellington journey ends. I was extremely fortunate to gain a place at Newnham College, University of Cambridge, to study classics. And I'm still at Newnham, still studying classics, but doing research for a PhD. I was no less fortunate to win a choral scholarship to sing with the chapel choir of Selwyn College, directed by Sarah MacDonald, who, amongst other achievements, was the first woman ever to hold the position of director of music at an Oxbridge chapel. My time with Selwyn Choir has involved recording multiple commercial CDs, performing premieres of music by big names in the choral world like James Macmillan and Paul Mila, as well as showcasing underrepresented or marginalised composers, more often than not women. Just before the pandemic, the choir sang for the launch of a new anthology of sacred music by female composers. I urge every choir director to invest in a set of copies. But in case you're feeling sceptical, what you're hearing now is an excerpt of my favourite piece from that anthology, Crux Fidelis, composed by my choir director Sarah and sung by us, the choir. Sarah's take on the crucifixion is, I hope you'll agree, no less atmospheric or spine-tingling than Lottie's. One of the major draws of singing in Selwyn Choir is the annual summer tour. In my first year, we flew to the United States and spent two weeks travelling along the West Coast, starting in San Francisco and finishing up in San Diego. It was my first trip to the USA, and the experience was unforgettable, to say the least. The first half of the tour went fairly smoothly. San Francisco is a buzzing and colourful city, and there was so much to see and do. Our next destination, Sacramento, was more historical than San Fran, but my friend and I were incredibly lucky to be hosted by the coolest couple I have ever met. They just got the most gorgeous kitten. Anyone who knows me knows how much I love cats. And they also had a speedboat and took us out on the river to a restaurant that floats on the water. We also got lucky in that the California State Fair had just arrived into town. And it was there that I had my first, and probably last, deep fried watermelon. The next stop on the tour was Fresno, a city none of us had ever heard of. 
It was here that things started to go downhill. It didn't take long to ascertain that my friend and I were staying with a family of Trump supporters only a couple of months after the 2016 election. As if this wasn't bad enough, we were taking a break outside our concert venue, trying our best not to expire from the extreme temperatures, which were hitting 40 degrees at this point, when the area was all of a sudden surrounded by police cars. We were quickly ushered back into the venue and gave our concert as if nothing was wrong. After the concert, we went back outside and the police cars were gone. We never did find out what happened, but as a group of rather sheltered Cambridge undergrads, we felt a bit like we'd had a dance with death. The next morning, we tumbled back into our sweaty tour bus and were on our way to San Diego. The drive should have taken about five hours, which was long enough, but as we were driving past LA, we felt our bus take a hit before grinding to a halt. Before long, we found out that a lorry had clipped us and our bus driver refused to budge until the lorry driver handed over his details. Voices outside the bus became raised. We were told that under no circumstances were we to move from our seats. After the Fresno fiasco, our imaginations were running wild. We were hot and tired and verging on delirious. Thankfully, although after several hours, the drivers sorted things out and we parted ways, both parties unscathed. Ten hours since leaving Fresno, we reached San Diego. I have to say, those ten hours were worth it. San Diego is such a cultural, multicultural city. Highlights include the beautiful Balboa Park, where you'll find museums and gardens and the San Diego Zoo, and La Jolla Cove, home to some very vocal wild sea lions. If you think that tour was dramatic, wait until you hear what happened in New York, the first leg of my third year choir tour to the east coast of the States. We were based at St Thomas's on Fifth Avenue, a five-minute walk from Central Park and Times Square. One evening, a group of us decided to be very touristy and have dinner at Olive Garden. We were struggling through our sickeningly salty meals when all the lights in the restaurant went out. A string of messages started coming in from our choir WhatsApp group. It appeared that the power cut was happening all across New York. As someone from Somerset, where power cuts are fairly frequent, I wasn't sure why everyone was making such a big deal. But then we got a message from our choir director, ordering us to come back to the choir school immediately. We rolled our eyes, certain that Sarah was just overreacting. That is, until we left the restaurant and emerged onto Times Square. Every single billboard was pitch black. The city that supposedly never slept was sleeping. As we made our way back, we realised that all the traffic lights were down and random New Yorkers were stepping into the road to manage the traffic. We hurried along the chaotic streets and met our fellow choristers outside our accommodation. But we couldn't get in. After a while, our choir director unlocked the door, looking very hot and bothered. We assumed this was because of the stress of getting us all back during the blackout. Turns out that she had just been personally escorted from the top of the building by some very good-looking firemen. 
At least someone had a good evening. One of Selwyn's regular guest conductors is Tim Brown, a former director of the Choir of Clare College, Cambridge. When I wasn't touring with Selwyn, I did a bit of singing for him. We got to know each other very well on a two-day drive from the UK to Austria. Just me, him and his three delightful cockapoos. We were travelling to Austria primarily to sing for the initiation of a monk in Stamms Abbey, a 13th century Cistercian monastery. And I encourage you all to Google the Abbey because it is incredible. It's huge and so beautiful and right in the middle of the Tyrolean mountains. I was there to sing the soprano solos in Haydn's Nelson Mass. I had been feeling really sick and dizzy on the journey to the Abbey, but I assumed that it had something to do with adjusting to the altitude. We entered the building, climbed up to the balcony and got into position. Now, it is well known that I am rather short, so short that I was the only one who couldn't be seen over the balcony. So Tim provided me with a precarious looking stool to stand on. During one of the most challenging runs for the soprano soloist, my dizziness took over and I fell backwards off the stool. I am still so grateful to the alto and bass soloists who caught me mid-fall and I somehow completed the run and carried on singing. When we got back from Stamms, however, I slept for 18 hours, woke up with a vicious fever and ended up being driven to a hospital in Germany, the Tyrol is right on the border, where I was put on a drip and diagnosed with a kidney infection. No wonder I was feeling a bit under the weather. Choir tours aren't always as eventful as the ones I've reminisced about so far. During a different summer, I joined Tim and some other Cambridge singers in Horto, a Greek village on the Pelian Peninsula. I had been asked to sing Dido's Lament, that famous aria from Purcell's Dido and Aeneas, in the village's amphitheatre for their annual music festival. The last time I'd sung this piece was in the chapel at school, when I had the great privilege of performing the title role with my partner in choir, Will Mitchell, as Aeneas, and Mr Trella on a harpsichord that we got in especially. What you're hearing now is a recording of that performance. This was the cherry on top of an inexpressibly fulfilling eight years of music making and studying at Wellington. Dido and Aeneas, as an opera based on a book of Virgil's Aeneid, a canonical Roman epic, brings together my love of music and classics. Getting to sing the aria again in Greece, my academic motherland, was seriously special. But nothing will ever beat that first performance in Wellington Chapel, that beautiful building in which my voice grew and eventually learned to soar. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to this podcast in which I indulge in a little nostalgia. I really hope you all remain well and keep as cheery as possible. Things are really looking up and I can't wait to come down and visit Welly soon.